0: Welcome to the Life of Christ, Part 2. This is Lesson 15, and uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. I believe we're on page 18, and we were looking at John, Chapter 1, and looking at verse 24. It says, Now some of the Pharisees, remember who had been sent by the Sanhedrin, questioned him, and said, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. Remember again that they'd asked him, who are you? And they said, are you this? And he said, no. He said, are you that? And then he said, no. He goes, well, who are you then? <laughs> okay. Now, watch, he is going to answer their question, but not the way they want it answered. All right. So we, we are at that point now, where he says again in John 1.25, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now, they don't care that... He is getting people turned on to God. They don't care that people's lives are changing. They don't care about all of those things. All they care is about what gives you the right to do this. Yeah, it's like hello, okay? And I have been in that place where people talk about etiquette. They talk about, you know, you you need to do the right thing and jump through all the right hoops and everything else. You know what? It's their hoops. It's not God's hoops. They'll say that God gave them the hoops, but they're, it's their hoops. It's not made in heaven. And you know, you start to realize then where religion begins, how you working for God, and you being obedient to God, how that can be now in opposition to what somebody else thinks you should be doing. Are you all here? OK? And you are going to run into this problem, I'm sorry to say. In your life as you begin to minister and do things for the Lord. You will get that question. They won't care what you've done. Their question will be what gives you the right. What church you represent. Is that a real church? They don't care. They don't care if they see the power of God. They don't care if somebody got healed in front of their eyes. It's like now, now where do you come from again? So notice here that it is the baptizing. Not the preaching. And the authority to do so. That is the baptizing. All right that is upsetting and annoying this priestly religious delegation. As they question John, who is himself the son of a priest, of which they were well aware. So in his commentary of the Gospel of John, Leon Morris explains why these religious leaders were upset. And says, baptism was not a new practice in Judaism. Now listen to this. It was the regular rite in the admission of converts... From other religions. When such a conversion took place, the males of the family were circumcised. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. And all of both sexes were baptized. This was seen as the ceremonial removal of all pollutions contracted in the Gentile world. Are you getting that? So this cleansing was to cleanse them from all the things, all the unclean things that they had done. Are you all with me? Okay, because they had a real thing with unclean. The novelty in John's case and the sting in his practice was that he applied to Jews the ceremony that was held to be appropriate in the case of Gentiles coming newly into the faith. Did you get that? So they're going, hang on a second, that's for Gentiles. How come you're doing this to Jews? We don't need this. Okay? All Jews were prepared to accept the view that Gentiles were defiled and needed cleansing. But to put Jew in the same class was horrifying. After all, Jews were God's people already, weren't they? (laughs) I did that bit. Okay, all right. So the question wasn't really about why do you baptize, but more what gives you the right to say we need to be baptized. That word should be gives. All right, so so notice again, it isn't about necessarily why do you baptize, or what, it's really about what gives you the right to say, we need to be baptized. With the attitude of, how dare you? Okay, (laughs) do you get this? All right, so they're just incensed. It's like what happens today, and sometimes not in the best way, when somebody says, you know, do you know the Lord? Well, I'm such and such. Okay, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to offend anyone. Alright, and they will name the name of a denomination. And you say, yeah, but do you know the Lord? Yeah, I was born a Christian. Hello, have you heard that one? Okay, I get that. I think, well darling, you weren't born a Christian, you were born human. You need to be reborn a Christian. You know, that doesn't come up when you pop out, they go, oh! Child, no, you know, it doesn't happen that way. Okay, all right, now, true, if you, you know, drop dead at that point in time, you will go to heaven because there is a thing, okay, there's a safety there that Satan cannot just steal somebody before they can make a decision. Do you, you all understand what I'm saying? All right, and some people have questions about that. At this time, I don't have any evidence to, to, to go against that belief, so I choose to believe that over the other. So, basically, what I'm saying is. I truly don't believe that there are babies in hell. Okay, that that Satan killed off a baby, you know, from an unbelieving family that didn't get a chance to make a decision. We know from Ecclesiastes that the body returns to the dust and the spirit, whom God gave, returns to God. All right, so from that we understand that until you make a decision, you know, until a child is old enough to know, to understand, and to make some sort of a decision, they're automatically going to heaven but once you get to the place where you can make a decision and you turn away from god so you know in a very funny way people have to get unsaved first before they can actually go to hell because you, in in a sense see this is where i'm telling you, this is why i'm telling you all of this i'm going into this big lengthy explanation because in a sense yeah you are born saved in that sense okay there is a, a grace over every baby that's born Okay? But that grace lifts at a certain point in time. Now now see, it should be the simplest thing to go from already going to heaven to going, Yes, Jesus, I do receive you, and continue going there. Alright? So that's really what should be happening. And God has made it that easy. So if ever people are saying God's unfair, well darling, guess what? He stacked the deck in your favor to start with. Okay? It's only you who did something to get out of that. Now you need to come back in you all here? Yeah. Amen. Now, there might be people that preach other things. You know what? Whatever. Alright, so the question here is religious leaders are asking John, what gives you the right to say that we need to be baptized? You know, with the attitude of, how dare you, okay? And that's the very reason John was there. To straighten out their ungodly thinking, and their ungodly attitudes. And also why John doesn't actually answer their question in the way they wanted him to, alright? So, they asked this question in verse 25, now he's going to answer them in this way. Moving on to John chapter 1 verse 26, on the next page. John answered them saying, I baptize with water. See, he is, he's going to say, listen... You think this is the problem. <laughs> okay? Alright? And we're going to have to go from, from John's gospel to Luke's gospel to actually find the answer, and we're going to see this. Alright? But anyway, he says, I baptize with water. He, he, he's not even going to address their stupidity. Okay? He's not going to say, well, I'm the son of a priest. And Can I just say this? Just watch out how you start to defend yourself. The whole point of me doing all of this is to show you how to deal with things. All right? Not from a reactionary point, but from a place of prayer, from a place of God, what do you want me to do? And it's only what you know you can do. Amen. I'm praying that you will be in a situation that, you know, you might get challenged and suddenly this class just flashes in your brain. And you remember me saying to you, don't react check with God. And sometimes you need to answer a question in a way that they can't fight you over. Okay, They are asking for a very specific answer, but can I say this to you first? Listen, their question might be wrong. So for you to engage in answering a wrong question, you're never going to get a right answer. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's like somebody saying, why will the sun not come up tomorrow? Well, I'm not going to even answer that. Because the question is wrong. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen? So I'm going to first of all start to explain that, yeah, that's the wrong question. The sun will rise. The question is, why will it rise? <laughs> okay? So this isn't a question of, you know, what gives me the right to baptize. Let me tell you why I'm baptizing. And let me tell you what's coming after this. Okay, so John answered them saying, I baptize with water, and again, only those who repent of their sins. Remember that? And he says, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. So he's saying, listen, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's somebody that's coming that you don't even know who he is right now. And he says, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. Now what all does that mean? Today you're going to find out. Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay. In other words, John is saying that the baptism isn't about who's doing it, but why it is necessary. By pointing away from himself and to the coming Messiah. He says, whose sandal strap, John says, I'm not worthy to lose. So he's saying, listen, you're having an issue with me baptizing. Somebody's going to come that you think I'm dangerous? You think I'm a threat to you? See, they're thinking John is a big problem here. Do you hear what I'm saying? John is saying, (laughs) I'm not the main event. (laughs) All right. Leon Morris explains that there is a rabbinic saying in its present form dating from about 250 AD, but probably even much older. Every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher, except the loosing of his sandal thong. John selects the very task that the rabbinic saying stresses as too menial for any disciple and declares himself unworthy to perform it. All right, so you see now what image he gave them. In relation to this, John MacArthur points out, each time John had opportunity to focus on himself in these encounters, he instead shifted the focus onto Messiah. John went so far as to state that he... Unlike a slave that was required to remove his master's shoes was not even worthy of performing this action in relationship to Messiah. Let me stop there for a minute. John understood that Jesus was God. He's saying, you don't understand. I'm talking about God himself manifested in the flesh. How can you even come close to that? Amen? Okay. Okay. All right. The Apostle John then concludes this passage on John the Baptist by saying, so remember, okay, (laughs) my daughter asked me this question, so let me just clarify this a little bit. This gets a little confusing because the Apostle John is writing about John the Baptist. Okay, and so they are two different people. So when we read about John and John, they're not the same John. Did I confuse everybody? No, okay. <laughs> okay all right. So there was an apostle that was called John that recorded all of these events about John the Baptist. Okay, alright. He concludes in John one twenty-eight by saying, these things were done in Beth- Abara, or Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing or immersing. MacArthur says that people came to John to be immersed by him In the Jordan River. Now firstly, William Hendrickson points out that in their eagerness to expose false messiahs. They are ignoring the true messiah. Alright, which will lead to their own undoing from this point on. Secondly, John MacArthur explains the discrepancy in the location given in verse 28. Says that Bethabra has been substituted for Bethany. Which is in the original text. Because some feel that John incorrectly identified Bethany as a place of these events. But two Bethanies existed. One near Jerusalem, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, according to John 11.1. 1, and one beyond the Jordan, near the region of Galilee. Since John took great pains to identify the other Bethany's close proximity to Jerusalem, he most likely was referring here to that other town with the same name. That's just a little history lesson. Okay, just t- Alright, turning next to the Gospel of Luke, we find that Luke gives us more detail about the one John made reference to, who said, was preferred before me, with Luke chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, now, which are almost identical to Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, but more detailed than Mark 1, 7 to 8. I'm giving you all of these because these are all the parallel verses that talk about the same event. All right, And I'm putting those in there so that if you're looking at something, if you've got your book, you can actually go and check up and see where one finishes, the other one continues on a little bit further, and how sometimes uh, one account will give you a little bit more detail on some events over here, then further down the other account will give you some more details over here. Like I said, we are covering all the Gospels. We are not going to miss anything. All right, Because in everything, every gospel writer gave us some details and they were there for a reason. And we need to see everything in it. So going now to Luke chapter 3 verse 16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. Alright? And Matthew 311 adds unto repentance. See, so we get a little bit more insight into that. So what he actually said was I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but one mightier than I and that's important that it was unto repentance. Okay, we're going to see that a little bit later on as well. But he says, one mightier than I is coming, meaning that in sheer power, he surpasses John. Alright, when he said mightier than I, he really meant mightier than I. Not just smarter, but mightier. Do you understand? Okay. He says, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose, he, with his mighty power, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in generous measure. Okay, that's what in the Greek says. And here we go fire. Now, <laughs> some people think incorrectly that that fire is talking about the fire of the Holy Spirit. Remember, remember Acts? Okay, and it talks about as tongues of fire. Okay, and so they see Holy Spirit, they see fire, they say that's what it is. That's not the case. Remember, John is throwing out a warning to them. We need to see this in context. He's saying, you think you have a problem with me. Remember where all this started? He's saying there's one coming that is mightier than I. He's going to do two things. He's going to reward and bless people that believe. And he's going to be really bad news to people who don't. That's basically what he's saying. Because remember John is dealing with people that are opposing what he's doing now. He's saying, you people are not going to go unscathed on this thing. You think you're up fighting me, but you're actually fighting God. And there are consequences when you do that. Are you all here? Remember this guy, he didn't play with you, man. Do you hear me? He'll give you both sides of the fence. His whole thing was that. You know, like either repent or go to hell, basically was his message. And it didn't change. What he just said there was exactly that. Now let's move on. William Hendrickson writes, It was necessary for John to draw this contrast. Between Christ and the Baptist, there were a qualitative difference as between the infinite and the finite. The eternal and the temporal. The original light of the sun and the reflected light of the moon. Remember, this is God. He is the true light. He is the light of the world. Are you all with me? Hendrickson continues. John baptizes with water. Jesus will baptize with the Spirit. He will cause His Spirit and the latter's gifts, that's the gifts of the Spirit, to come upon His followers. Okay, Acts 1a. Be poured out on them. There are the references there. Fall upon them. Okay, so all those things. So we have a clear distinction made between John's baptism and the Lord's baptism. Alright, one was water to repentance. The other one is going to be power. Remember he said, remember again the term, the words mightier. Okay, so he's saying, look, I can only do this with water. But there's somebody that's going to come that will give you something far more than water, dude. (laughs) Okay, when he baptizes you, power from on high will fall on your head. Things will begin to happen. So we have a clear distinction again between John's baptism and the Lord's baptism. This distinction is clearly brought out in Acts chapter 19, where it says in verses 1 through 6, just, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, I mean Acts 19 too, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Notice the question? Did he say, did you get baptized in water when you believed? Because that's the first thing today people ask. Are you water baptized? And they want to drown you when you ask that question. You know, they want to really baptize you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And you go, no, not by you, thank you. (laughs) Okay, What's the question? He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? People are still caught up in this one. So they said to him, into John's baptism. And he said, that's all you need. No, I'm saying that. Because that's what today's church world will tell you. Brother, are you want to baptize? Well, that's all you need. What about that? Oh, don't go. That's, that's, that's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. I'm making a big thing out of this, because it is a big thing. Alright, I want you to get this. Then Paul said, watch now. Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. Look back at Luke chapter 3 verse 16, previous page. John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, with Matthew saying unto repentance. Remember that? So what he said there is exactly that. And now Paul is going to repeat that and he's going to confirm that. Alright, but then he's going to move on. So he says here, Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him, who would come after him. That's exactly what he said. That is on Christ Jesus. Can we all say amen to that? We're all good, right? Okay. Verse 5. When they heard this, what did they do? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not in the name of John now. Not unto repentance. Get this now. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them. He sprinkled a little water and said there you're done. Come on. I got sprinkled. I got dunked. I got done in a lot of different ways. All I did was get wet. I'm just saying to you dude. You know. Okay. Watch this. When Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Wow. So something happened on the inside. Amen. Power came. They started doing things they didn't do before. Now notice here, nothing is mentioned about Paul re-baptizing them in water, but him simply laying his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit coming upon them, resulting in them speaking with tongues and prophesying. Further to this, we also know from Acts chapter 2, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit also included divided tongues as of fire. Okay, Now I'm going to bring this in, because I need you to see a difference between what is said there, and what John said. So let's look in Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. Did you hear that? You need to read every word when, in, in the Bible. You can't just read over and think that's what it's saying. Okay? It said, as of fire. Alright, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now people look at that, and go, ha ha, see, that's what John's talking about. Now first of all, notice the phrase, as of fire, indicating that it was not fire, but like it. Okay? Alright, that being the case, the fire that John is making reference to in Luke 3.16 when he says that he will baptize you with fire is referring to something else which I believe the next verse clarifies. I don't know why people don't read the next verse. I think people read the next verse and they can't figure out what the heck it said. You know why? Because their mind has wandered off somewhere wrong and then nothing makes sense after that. Now keep in mind... That John, again, is saying either you believe and get blessed, or you reject, and you're all going to hell. Basically, was what he's saying. Alright? So, let's follow that now. So, once he finishes here, he, when, when, once he finishes in uh, Luke 3.16, when he says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire... Verse 17. His winnowing fan, okay, literally a winnowing fork. It is, it is a fork. It's a very bad translation. Oh, so he says his winnowing fork is in his hand. And so the the whole, uh, the whole whole this is the wheat, okay, was thrown into the air against the breeze. All right? So that's what they did. They threw it up against the breeze. Are you all with me? The wind carried the chaff away, but the grain fell straight down because of the weight. Okay? Okay. And why it goes in to say, and he will thoroughly... Clean out his threshing floor. Okay? Of, and Let me just add all this to you so you can get the picture. Of the wheat grains now referring to the faithful within the nation of Israel. S- still, his threshing floor. So that is still talking about his threshing floor. His threshing floor is the nation of Israel. Are you all with me? Okay? He's throwing it up, bring it down, whatever is there. Okay, these are the faithful ones. The chaff. All the leaders that are fighting this, that are going to reject him, and everything else, those are all the stuff that's going to get blown away. Okay, all right, follow now. Alright, so he'll thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, the nation of Israel, who would be baptized with referring to the faithful now. So when they come back down, he's going to take those, alright, gather the wheat into his barn. Okay, so all the believers, he's going to gather into his barn. Are you all with me? Because that's what you do with the wheat, you don't throw it away. But the chaff, you see we haven't finished yet. So there's, there's two things going on here. Alright, remember we had the Holy Spirit and fire, now we have wheat and chaff. Follow now. He says, but the chaff, referring to those Jews who would reject him and cling to their sin, he will burn. Notice that? That part is part of the verse. Okay, he says it will burn. This is the judgment that is in his hands. With unquenchable fire, there's the fire. Do you see this now? Okay, that's the baptism of fire. Even though this fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, not man. So, get this now. John is saying this, okay. He said, look, there's one coming after me. He says he's going to baptize you. Remember the word baptize means immerse. He's going to either immerse you with the Holy Spirit or with fire. All right. For all those that, who are the wheat, he says they're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. They're going to receive God's blessing. He said for the chaff, they're going to be immersed in fire. They're going to be all burnt up. They knew this in their time. They had seen this. They had done this. Do you know what I'm saying? To us, it's kind of a bit of a mystery. To them, it's a thing that they just knew. That's, that's how you do it. And so when he gave them this example, they they had no confusion about what he was saying. Do you hear what I'm saying? We messed it up somewhere. There was no confusion with them. They knew exactly what he meant. Again, remember who's preaching. This is John. This is camel hair. You know what I'm trying to say? Wild dude. Okay, kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. And this is the guy that you can't, we don't care about your qualifications. If, if I see something wrong with you, you're going to hell. I can tell you're going to hell. You, know, you, wanna, you say you're repenting, bring me fruits that, that prove to me that you repented. He, he's that kind of a person. So you need to understand, when he, says, when he says something, he is giving you choices. All the time he's giving you choices. Choose the right thing, go to heaven. Choose the wrong thing, you go to hell. End of story. The wheat. He'll gather to his barns, he will bless, he will fill them with the Holy Spirit, the chaff, he is going to burn that up. End of story. And he will separate the two. You guys don't think he can do it. He'll do it. Get it? Okay. To the right hand, to the left hand, remember? Goats on one hand, sheep on the other. Same deal. So in other words... Just as the believers, i got to finish this here, just as the believers within the nation of Israel will be immersed in the Holy Spirit when they receive the Lord, unbelieving Jews will be immersed in unquenchable fire in that last day as a result of their rejection of Him. Remember again, all this was aimed at the religious leaders of the day who criticized and rejected their own Messiah. Luke chapter 3 and verse 18 then goes on to conclude by saying, And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. Following this, can I finish this? Following this, Hendrickson says that for about a year, that's late 26 AD to late 27 AD, the ministries of Jesus and John were concurrent. All right? They were working together. All right, He goes on to add that though not always chronological, Luke's account is logical. Uh, If you're ever reading Matthew's Gospel, that's not how it happened. Okay? He puts it together for a reason that way. And I'll explain things to you as we go. But Matthew's Gospel was written for a whole different purpose. All the things happened that he said happened, but he wants to make a point about who Jesus is, and his teaching ministry, and you know, his miracle ministry. So he put it in a certain way that people would read it, and rather than wait for a long time before you sort of got, you could, there's a miracle here, then there's a miracle here, then this happened over here, then there's a miracle over here. He kind of bunched them all together. He said, this is your Messiah, this is what he taught, somewhere on the mount. He said, then these are all the things he did, one after the other. Okay, and so they go, oh, he did a lot of things. Yeah, okay, yep, get it? And then he says, Now, this is what you did to him. Fools. <laughs> no. All right? So that's why he's written his gospel that way. That's just a quickie summary. All right? But the other gospels, Luke and Mark, are fairly chronological. They, they tell you what the events are in, in the right sequence. So when you're reading that, you kind of know, okay, this is what happened next. Okay, so let me reread this. So though not always chronological, Luke's account is logical. He wishes to bring the story of John's ministry to a close in order to write the story of Christ's ministry. And so he says in Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him, that's John the Baptist, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, okay, and niece, Hello, Herodias had buried her half-uncle, and for all the evils which Herod had done, so John the Baptist just told Herod off. Okay? I told you this guy, he tells people off. All right? That's why I said, you know, when he, when he told the Jews, you're going to either get the holy spirit or you're going to burn in hell. That's kind of basically what he did. Then he goes to Herod and says, "You, you're sleeping with, you know, what is wrong with you?" Okay? These people don't take that kind of correction well. And and so verse 20 says also added this above all that he shut John up in prison. In his commentary, William MacDonald points out that The imprisonment of John actually took place about 18 months later. John had rebuked Herod for living in an adulterous relationship with his sister-in-law. Herod then crowned all his other evil deeds by shutting John up in prison. To this, William Hendrickson adds, Of all the wicked deeds Herod Antipas ever perpetrated, this crime of imprisoning and subsequently murdering John the Baptist was the most revolting it was a crime against John, the gospel, the people, and ultimately God. And that concludes this chapter. Alright, take a break, and we'll come back.